welcome to the Props Public Safety Podcast, where experienced firefighters discuss drone operations in public safety. Take flight, save lives, save service members. What's up, buddy? Long time no see outside. I know. And it's, well, long time no see on here, at least. I mean, we absolutely. I see you more than I see my wife, so. Yes, I know. It's been a busy, busy month, or I should say maybe even a couple of months. I mean, um, everything that we've had going um, on. Doing a lot. Doing yes. Much. Yes, we have. Doing so. so much. Doing so much that we haven't had time to do any of this. No, exactly. So, so we apologize for the delay of, uh, you know, getting this out to you guys. But um, just so you, if those of you that don't know, We've been extremely busy with regular work. <laughs> so firefighting drones and, you know, everything that comes along with that, you know, it, it's we've been absolutely slammed at work. We've seen an increase in our runs with all the water rescues and everything else. We've had some special projects going on right around the same time, long term special projects that we've been working on and assembling teams for that. So we were stretched in as a unit and you know, a lot of people were moving around and, you know, trying to, you know, accommodate everything that was going on, which is utter insanity. <laughs> like, and by, look back at it. By, I don't know how it was done, but it was done. We managed to get everything accomplished. So, and still staff a unit. <laughs> Absolutely. Still staff a 24-7 unit while running two special projects, in some cases, three special projects at the same time. It's. Yeah. And a summer program. And the summer program. Yep. I had the whole presentation for the Redmond Symposium that I was working on. I presented at that. So that was, you know, a couple of, not a couple of weeks, but it definitely took me a week to, you know, prepare the PowerPoint, make sure everything was on point, make sure everything was squared away with that and logistics and figure out who's going to be working and who's not working as, because we didn't have, you know, a pool of personnel to pick from. And after all of that, if we did have time, I don't know, man. I was gonna. I'm. I'm gonna have a a, a drink with the wifey, and uh, or or take the kids for a bike ride. Yes, so, yes. Uh, even with me, I didn't. I didn't miss a beat with uh with yeah. my kids as well. You know, summer was a good summer. I wish I would have spent a little bit more time with them. You know, but I mean, it is what it is. We've all enjoyed our summer, but now that summer's pretty much over, kids are going back to school. I appreciate the silence. I'm not going to lie. You know? All right. So enough about us. Yes. Let's focus on remote ID and the fact that the FAA decided that um, March looks like a better alternative to uh, attempt to push this out. Um, yeah. What does yeah. that mean for our public safety operators as a whole? Most of people that I know are flying equipment, which doesn't really, the remote ID doesn't really affect them. It's kind of built in on most of the new systems, but anybody that's flying the Mavic 2 or below. Really affects a lot of their training platforms. Yes. It's those older models that aren't going to be equipped with remote ID that they're they're not going to be able to operate with anymore. So. Yes, and it also affects a lot of um, a lot of drones that aren't, you know, DJI based. Like you would have um, you powered Anafi. I think the regular Anafi might not be remote ID ready. The Anafi Thermal, I'm not 100 percent sure because I I haven't flown either the Anafi or the Anafi Thermal in well over two years since the Parrot AI. 
But there's a couple of other drone manufacturers and equipment that's, you know, non-DJI that wouldn't be, uh, you know, applicable for remote ID. Most of the stuff that I know, you know, your SkyDOs and the Parrot stuff, anything that's of the newer type where, you know, a public safety entity would be using it seems to be remote ID ready. But that doesn't mean, like you said, now that would hinder everybody's training or they'd have to buy modules for all these pieces of equipment. Most of the training, the the training drones, you know, are those end of life coming to the end of their life. Yeah. Uh, they get switched out from the day to day operations into a training piece. and. Yep. So I really don't think it's going to affect your newer programs because they're already up to speed with uh, with devices that are easily equipped or equipped with uh, with all that. So yeah, what it does affect is the law enforcement side more so than the fire side because of accident reconstruction. So everybody knows that one of the best, if not the best, platform for the price has always been the Phantom Four Pro, and that unfortunately is not remote ID capable. So you have the Phantom 4. I don't know if the Phantom 4 RTK is remote ID capable, 100% offhand. I believe that the whole Phantom series is out. And that could put a hurting on a lot of, you know. Phantom series isn't even being supported anymore, so. No, batteries are becoming scarce. Propellers are becoming hard to find. But, I mean, as far as, you know, your best bang for the buck, that was recommended. That's why one of the best selling platforms. Yeah, like you said, you know, best bang for your buck. It's still an outdated piece that is, uh, its shelf life is over is what I'm saying, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, and also with the Mavic 2, its shelf life is over as well. Um, And now Remote ID kind of seals that, the fate on that as well. But you got to remember that the Mavic series as a whole, I mean, which let's, you know, be realistic. The Mavic series is the best-selling drone just based on it's literally 75% of their lineup. They, when you go from the Mavic, the Mavic Air, the Mavic 2S, the uh, this Mavic and that, everything else, if it's not, you know, Matrice, it's it's a Mavic Yeah, <laughs> for the most part. You know what I mean? So it has, you know, just a big shared number of, you know, models to choose from. But um the Phantom series was always their flagship, you know, kind of run of the mill type series up until they released the first Mavic. And then they realized how well that sold. And then the Mavic 2 series support like blew those numbers out of the water. Yeah. And the Mavic Pro sold a lot. And the Mavic 2 series just crushed it. You know what I mean? So you have a lot of drones on the market or out in the out in the world, <laughs> we should say, that are just almost becoming to our ends of life, which out in the world doesn't make a difference because it's US only for remote ID. But yeah, I mean, we'll see, like, you know, things are going to be coming a lot scarce and harder to find. But what does this mean for our public safety operators now that it's being pushed out until March? It means that they have a longer time to to be ahead of this and to get ahead of this and to put things on, you know, in their arsenal or their equipment list that they would be able to work with and train on and become proficient at, you know, in their, what would be, you know, their off season, which is normally in the winter time. I mean, in firefighting, your winter is where you have the majority of, you know, your fires. But in reality, it's your run ratio goes down. You don't have a lot yeah. of the other switch. emergencies. Yeah. And for us, there's that switch over where, where we kind of, we rehash the previous year and see, uh, and, you know, start revamping our trainings and everything else over the winter and 
our SLPs and see if we can consolidate all that into into just a fine-tuned program. Mm-hmm. But as far as remote ID, I mean, the six-month grace period isn't really a big deal for, you know, newer programs that are out there because they're already up to date with the latest and greatest, you know, DJI product. Because I'm going to say it's a DJI product because, you know, it's a market share. Yeah. So, so they're fine with it and they're not going to run into any issues. You know, again, it, it really falls down. It's actually going to be more about those programs that have been around for a few years where they have those older devices. And now what are they going to do with those old devices? Yeah, absolutely. Is is it worth upgrading? Do they have the funds to upgrade? And if let's say they wanted to upgrade to a newer model, the grant money isn't there anymore. You can't mm-hmm. use the grant money. So now they have to figure out a way to procure said equipment or the equipment of their choice, whether it's through, you know, private grants or funding, you know, shaking the boot on the street corner or whatever the case may be, or just buying it out of, you know, funds that the agency has, that's going to be, you know, a big issue for them because it's depending on the size of their fleet. And let's be honest, what we're talking about now, if we're talking about a unit that really hasn't upgraded their equipment since when did the Mavic come out? The Mavic 2 come out? 2016, 18, 2018, we'll say. 2017, maybe. If they haven't updated since then, then they're, one, they're just using it scarcely, you know, every so often here and there. And to them, it would probably be, it's not a, a do or die piece of equipment where, you know, larger agencies are using the equipment on a daily basis. I mean, there's no shortage of the amount of different operations that we use our equipment on on a daily basis. Everything from, you know, person in the water to fire scenes and 3D modeling and whatever and then, it may be. Yeah. So so what do you, what do you think the uh, the hiccup was with the FAA for the six month extension? What didn't they expect? <laughs> One of the main things that I see a problem with, you know, everybody's up in the air about, you know, Chinese made drones, Chinese made drones, Chinese made drones. And these drones are perfectly safe if you keep them off the Internet. Right. And now with remote ID, you're taking all these drones and you're yeah. connecting them to the internet. To the internet. Yeah. So um, I, I see that being one of the key factors. But I just think that I don't think that they have all the bugs and the kinks worked out on their end on how they're going to implement this. Where is this data going to go? And I know that they have dashboards in place. And I just don't think that they, they're they ready to recognize the amount of volume of that's, and that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, the overwhelming numbers. Yes. Because do you remember when they were like, oh, well, we want, you know, every UAS operation to file, you know, notums and this and that. Stop filing notums. And then it went to, okay, you guys got to stop calling up notums. You can do it electronically now because they were just getting slammed. And then before notums, you were able to call the tower. And then you were like, oh, all right, so you know, I'm going to be operating my UAS at this location and blah, 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 for this amount of time at this altitude. And Tower would give you your authorization. And that stopped like within six months. Like that was done, you know, and then they went to the facility maps. And that's what we currently use now. But now you get instant approval up to 400 feet or whatever the map is. And you do that via Lance which is a great system. But now when you have, you know, an emergency operation and you're in the zero grid, now you have the SGI. And then the even the SGI is a great system because it's not used that often. 
But now let's say like we'll discuss now, like um, the UN General Assembly is in session right now. So every pretty much operation that we would need to operate at, we have to file an SGI. Yeah, well, we, we were barred from flying for what, 30 miles? Yeah. Right. About that. Yeah. Then then we had the Trump TFR when Trump uh, was president in Manhattan and stuff. So, I mean, for us, it was all right. But this is navigable. However, we're just one small little part of a big, large department. I mean, there's realistically only 12 of us and there's only one unit in the city that's operating a drone at the time. Now, let's say, you know, us. We get a second unit, maybe a third unit. Then we throw another one on this rig. And now we have PD and DOT and sanitation and buildings department and buildings decides they want to inspect buildings with these. And they do approximately 150 flights a day. And you're talking a lot of numbers, you know, filing SGIs in these predicaments, uh, these situations. And I mean, obviously, it's not going to be applicable for, you know, building inspection on a normal day. But let's say they have a crack and it becomes an emergency at this point, an emergency inspection. Would they be able to file an SGI for that? Yeah. And just the, the sheer numbers on, you know, once this goes, because right now we're in the infancy. And, and that's what it rolls back to john is it was just an overwhelming amount of numbers it uh, you know the, the volume that they didn't expect yeah and, and you know to be honest with you they don't even have the foundations built out yet for uas operations and then they throw something out like this yeah and I, I think before you get solid guidelines on where and how to operate you can't be throwing out you know uh regulation some, some regulation like this yeah it just doesn't make any sense you know? I mean, it's definitely a, like I'm for remote ID. A lot of pilots aren't. I mean, I fly by the book. I have nothing to hide. I don't care who sees what I'm Everybody, flying, what I'm doing. They throw out that digital license. But it's a digital license plate. You know, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? You know, it's not going to affect the person that is the, uh, you know, commercial flyer. They have a business or the public safety operator. It's, it doesn't affect them at all. No. If, the the hobbyist that wants to try and throw it up in midtown yes that's where it's going to affect and it's going to be really you know um the people that are going to be affected would be like your small filmmakers people just looking to generate content and people that are downright breaking the law yeah you know what i mean like because now you have like a whole fpv let's say like they decide hey we want to go fly in this park then they don't have that capability on it are they doing it for filming reasons probably not they're, they're just having you know a good old time maybe throwing a couple of their videos on youtube you know but realistically they need to add the module to their fpv eraser and zip it around that way and you know what i think you're gonna find i think a lot of you're gonna find a lot of these modules on the ground <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. he's beeping away in a field somewhere because you know yeah. what i mean like if everybody puts it on, like when I put something on the drone, I ensure that it's going to stay on there for, you know, the long haul because I'm used to flying over buildings and people and, you know, firefighters on the roof. And I don't want things coming off of my piece of equipment. You know what I mean? Like regardless of what it is. Well, that's, that's the difference from, you know, getting a, a third party module that has to be affixed to your drone somehow and having it come from the manufacturer. Where they've already done the numbers on where it should go and how heavy it should be and the placement and how it's affixed and everything else. 
Yeah. Once you start going to the pilot or the consumer on how and where it should be affixed to, to your drone, you're opening yourself up to a bunch of potential problems. Oh, absolutely. If anything, the remote ID will push pilots to become a little bit more legitimacized. You know, you have a lot of drone operators that are not part 107. Yeah. How many times I talk to people, whether they're a firefighter or they're a cop or just somebody passing by on the beach and they say, oh, yeah, I fly my drone all the time. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's nice. And then they're like, yeah, but um, how do you get the license? And I'm like, oh, I take they take their videos, they put them on YouTube, they do everything commercial with them. And, and you're like, wow, like they don't know that is completely illegal. <laughs> you, know? you, you look at remote ID as a scare tactic. I think it will be a scare tactic, and I think it will allow them to enforce some of the regulation a little bit stricter because now they'll have tangible data. Yeah. Um, but I do think of it as being the same thing as not having the drone registered, where the failure to register the drone is more of the offense than actually flying the drone. Now, one thing with the FAA that they had brought up is the need for a remote ID to uh, for people that are trying to inflict harm on others or, you know, terroristic activities or anything else. And and I don't even know why they go by that, because if there is any person out there thinking of doing something like that, then obviously they're doing something that doesn't, doesn't require remote ID. <laughs> oh, exactly. But, and here's the thing too, like, so you're looking at ready-made systems, you know, your DJIs and your Autels and your SkyDOs and, and you're, you're saying, all right, you guys need to be remote ID compliant. But if you were going to design something for harm, you wouldn't be going with an off-the-shelf model. You would probably be designing something that's, you know, small and portable and kind of under the radar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Versus something that you got to connect to the internet and you got to put your email and your name and make sure that you got your unlocks and all that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I think the scare tactic is there. However, I do think that, you know, there is always a chance for a nefarious threat with any piece of equipment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even just taking a mini and flying it into a crowd at its top speed of, we'll say, 30 miles an hour. I mean, it's 250 grams. It's, it's not going to, realistically it's not going to kill anybody however but you start as you know people running and that that sometimes that's all you need like you know what i mean so like it's possible you know what i mean so i think having an idea of who's actually operating that and i don't think that would stop anybody because do you think that that this person would put their real name in the remote id you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> you know uh yeah i don't know can't fix stupid so yeah no exactly it's possible. Yeah. But, you know, you know, I kind of look at the remote ID a little bit like uh, almost like gun control laws, too, where it's the, the people that are abiding by the laws aren't the ones that you have to make the laws for. But it's though those are the people that are affected the most. Right. You know, those that are actually uh, you know going about it the correct way and doing it and, and you know, following the rules and, and checking off all the boxes. Yeah. And when you really think about it, any time that I've heard of anybody getting in trouble with a drone for whatever reason, flying too close to an airport or, you know, flying over people or, you know, it fell out of the sky and hit somebody in the head. They smashed into a Black Hawk helicopter, like all these <laughs> things. They were all done 
Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that did happen. Um, they were all done by pilots that did not have a part 107 uh-huh. or any type of standardized drone training as a whole. Like we spend, I would say more about 70% of our time flying, not at operations, but in training. Yeah. Um, we literally, as a unit, we train every day, you know, we check the equipment every day and that's not part of training, but we go out every day and we fly the equipment and we make sure that we understand the little nuances that come along with it and the different softwares that we use for different purposes and different equipment that we equip it to it. And, you know, we make sure that all of our systems are not only functional, but that we know how to operate them yeah. we I think do that on a daily basis. I think I pulled the numbers last year for uh, when I went down to drone responders for our trainings versus flight. And it was like 60, mid 60s, I think. Yeah. 60% or more of our flights were based solely around training. Yeah, absolutely. And I would expect that to be even higher as we have some new people entering the unit as well. We're out there training more and, and doing more. And then when we get newer equipment, we drill on that more and train with that more. And as we develop, you know, different techniques or different pieces of equipment, or like even um, we'll take the the drop device for the M30. Yeah, that was a matter of affixing it to the M30, which took about maybe 30 seconds to equip. But every pilot had to train on it, you know, for a substantial amount of time before they understood the nuances and the difference between just flying, you know, an M30 and flying an M30 with a payload that's dangling off the bottom of it. So, I mean, it's, and that's exactly what we need to do to excel at what we do. We have to be proficient at it. And I think remote ID is going to eliminate a lot of the hiccups and hurdles that we would have with the rogue drones over our fire scenes and, you know, different operators and, you know, different scenarios where, we see these drones in the air and they're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think we're looking at ignorance too. And just because the drones will be equipped with remote ID doesn't mean you're still not dealing with an ignorant pilot that just refuses to read the rules and regulations of flight, you know, and where they can fly. Absolutely. And you know what? I think a lot of them know the rules. I think that they just decide not to abide by them. For the simple reason, as sometimes ignorant is bliss, and they know that the FAA normally doesn't issue fines, they issue warnings on the first offense. So with that being said, I mean, they're kind of taking advantage of, you know, the way the FAA handles things. I mean, how loud they are when they handle things. Yeah, how they don't handle things, I guess we should say. But um, I, I mean, obviously, they definitely need to promote and they've been trying their best to promote, you know, safe operations and how to do it. It's just you have such a large audience and your commercial operators really need to get involved with your recreational hobbyists and figure out a way to make it so that, you know, when this equipment gets opened up and it goes out of the box, that the person that's operating understands what it does and how it does in the safe rules of the road. And there's really no way to do that without holding accountability. Yeah. I think that's what the remote ID is designed to do is to hold accountability to these pilots. And I think that if it does get implemented in, you know, the fashion that they want, I think it will be a game changer in the way that we see drones being flown around just even on a hobbyist level. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So September, 
16th came and went and with it remote ID, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like um, we'll be celebrating St. Patrick's Day two days early <laughs> with some double-sided Velcro tape <laughs> if you have a Mavic 2. <laughs> we shall see who abides by the rules. But, you know, again, uh, the, the the short of it is uh, it's pushed ahead six months. Not really a big deal for public safety. Again, really the only issues I see with it for public safety is the fact that, you know, your older drones platforms are kind of going to be thrown to the wayside because of it. But other than that, that's all I got, John. Um, I think I think that's a wrap. I mean, it's time to uh, push this podcast off into March as well <laughs> and when we revisit it because there's really not much that we could talk about anymore. So March 16th to 24, we'll be uh, we'll be back at it talking yep. about another extension. <laughs> you know what? I would not surprise me. It really wouldn't. There is a lot to work out and there is a lot of backends on these systems. I know for sure that, you know, we're probably thought out or looked really good on paper until somebody says, well, how the hell are we going to do that? And then, yeah. Yeah. you know, the idea was like, oh, uh, you don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> so but for that podcast, I'll be doing it in a kilt. There you go. Sounds good. John, why don't you send us off? All right. And this concludes this episode of Props Public Safety Podcast. I'm John Wakey. I'm Mike Wall. Stay safe, fly safe, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for joining us at the Props Public Safety Podcast. If you want to take flight with our hosts and learn more about our public safety education program, go to propsflightschool.com and click the public safety button.